That's Acts chapter 1, folks, if you want to get out your Bibles, as Mark said. I'm going to pray. So, Lord, as we turn to your word now, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and help these written words to become the living word that changes our lives. And help us now to encounter Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. All right, it's this one up. That's great. Down a bit. Up a bit, down a bit. Is that better? All right, fantastic. Okay, if we can bring up the uh, PowerPoint, that'd be marvellous. There you go. This morning's talk, if you like, or exploration or sermon, whatever we want to call it, is called Rise Up. Because it's all about the ascension, the moment where Jesus rose up uh, and uh, returned to heaven to be with his heavenly father. Now, uh, as we get into this, uh, in the old days, there were these things called newspapers. Anyone remember those? They were marvellous, weren't they? Um, apparently they still exist. You can get them with sort of collector's items in sort of collectible shops. Um, but, um, <laughs> like W.H. Smith's. Um, other shops are available. But they used to have, uh, occasionally in them, funny pictures with a, with a competition that would simply say, caption this. Do you remember that? The caption this competitions? Well, they still exist. Uh, the internet still enjoys a caption this competition. Here are some that I found out. Uh, here are some pictures for you to caption. Here's one. <laughs> caption this. <laughs> that marvellous? I'd love to think that's not been uh, changed uh, on, on an image program. I have no idea. But if that's that dog's real eyeballs, that's marvellous, isn't it? Any ideas how we might caption that? I'm not going to put you on the spot. Let's move on. Uh, next one. How about this one? Cat, look at that. Just have a look. Takes a moment. Isn't that marvellous? <laughs> Says on the clipboard, the London Zoo. There he is. Uh, I'll have the, uh, the fish fingers with the chips, please, tomorrow. And I'll start with the kippers. Thank you. That would be my, uh, that would be my caption. Okay. Next one. Oh, somebody's washing all of his toys. <laughs> look at that. Why do you put them in the spinny, spinny machine? So sweet. All right, next one. Caption this. <laughs> marvellous. Marvellous. I love the shades. He looks a bit like Mark did when he ran in and did his sketch. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah, the guy at the front looks like you, Mark. Don't worry. The one at the back. <laughs> I wasn't being that rude. <laughs> Okay, here's one that I saw that came up. I couldn't resist. Caption this. <laughs> Controversial Matthew. Yes, I know. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> is that marvellous? But there is, there is, that's made me chuckle. There is a, um, a moment in our story this morning, it probably looked a little bit like this, would have made a perfect caption this moment. You see, this must have been quite a sight. Did you see on what we think was the Mount of Olives, they went out of the city uh, to see this group of Jesus followers just craning their necks, mesmerised, looking up into an empty sky. Jesus, their master, their friend, has literally just risen up before them, before disappearing from their sight. And I simply wonder how on earth were they feeling in that moment? 
on earth were they feeling? Let's recount a bit. How did we get here? How did we get to this moment? Well, after what seemed like the most tragic and appalling end to Jesus' ministry, his death on a cross, the most unthinkable wonder happened. Jesus had risen. He was alive. It's so easy to say, but when you get your head around this truth, it is life-changing. Jesus, who was dead, rose from the dead and was alive. And he had spent 40 days with his followers. I love the description in Acts, in the next chapter, Acts 2. It says, God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Why? Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Isn't that awesome? That is our Jesus. Death punched as hard as it could. Death choked and strangled and held on and got bust apart because Jesus rose from the dead. And the power of death forevermore has been broken. Hallelujah. That is our Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Come on. Now, to utterly cast out any doubt that he was alive, Jesus hung out for the last 40 days, five and a bit weeks, uh, with his disciples, giving them many convincing proofs we read from this passage, teaching them about the kingdom. Um, and notice, that's what he taught them about. Just an aside, it's not part of my sermon really. Jesus turns up and teaches about the kingdom at the beginning of his ministry. And then throughout his ministry, he talks about the kingdom. And then when he turns back up, risen from the dead for 40 days, he tells them about the kingdom. Interesting. The kingdom, God's kingdom of justice of compassion, of love, of righteousness, where the Lord is recognised, where people know him and worship him, where there is healing and restoration and hope. This kingdom, Jesus said to them, is now breaking in. As you go and do what I have done, you will see my kingdom, the kingdom of God, breaking in all around you. It's what gets us excited as Christians, being part of that great kingdom breaking in. They must have been so excited I mean, just imagine it. Here's Jesus who was utterly and most definitely dead. Now sat there, eating with them, talking with them. They must have been amazed to see him chewing and, mmm, that's a nice bit of fish with them and tearing bread with them. He was, this time though, slightly different. He was somehow more wonderful He was somehow more powerful, more glorious, somehow more mysterious, for he would appear to them. We read the accounts when they least expected it, if you like, and then would just disappear again. Something had changed in Jesus. This was indeed a physical body Jesus now had, but it it was his resurrected, resurrection body. He was transformed. This was his eternal body. This was it. Jesus had risen from the dead, and his body had been transformed more glorious into the resurrection body that we will one day know as well. The joy of the disciples must have been overwhelming. We never expected to have another meal with him, folks, but he is here. He is alive. We get to listen to his teaching again. We're going to savour every word he says. I like to think sometimes they maybe just poked him, just to make sure 
he really was there. My son Archie decided to poke my father as he left for his cosmic group this morning, I saw. Just to wind him up, just to say, Granddad, I see you, you're there, I love you. I'd like to think that they maybe just went over to Jesus and went, oh, it's so good that you are here. The wonder, folks, of the resurrection must have been bristling through their veins. These last five amazing weeks, when they least expected it, Jesus would turn up, be with them, and go again. But let's jump back to the picture we're looking at this morning. Stood, gazing at the sky. This time, his departure felt different. Something about this felt like a proper goodbye. You see, Luke's Gospel tells us... Ooh, that was exciting. Um, Luke's Gospel tells us that he led them to the Mount of Olives uh, just outside the city. And it was there he gathered them around him. He lifted up his hands. He gave them a final priestly blessing to this motley crew whom he loved so much. And it was as he was blessing them, he was taken up before them, before their very eyes. And a cloud, it reads, hid them from his sight. I just want to say to you, we don't believe heaven is just one or two miles up in the atmosphere. Seriously, uh, the fact that he rose up, I believe, was a gift to them so that they could be certain that this is our Jesus. This is where he's going. Everyone said he was a failure and a disgrace, but heaven has taken him up in glory. Um, the most extraordinary moment for them to uh, witness. I imagine that cloud was probably something like the cloud of God's presence, just shining in the most glorious way as Jesus left them. It would have utterly amazed them. It also would have dawned on them in this moment that Jesus was gone. Jesus was gone. They'd only just got him back, but now he was gone. And their hearts, I can only imagine, must have felt a wrenching within Because more than anything, can you blame them? They would have loved the life-transforming presence of Jesus with them. Oh, to be around Jesus. When he was with them, they felt confident. When he was teaching, they felt sure. When he smiled at them, they felt loved. When Jesus was present, it felt like anything was possible. His going would have been devastating for them. And so they just stand there, silent, dumbfounded, trying to take in what on earth has just happened and what's going to happen next. must have been such a mix of emotions. It was the end of such a significant era. Jesus was gone. And I can only guess that they must have been utterly amazed at his departure and yet deeply sad and anxious all at the same time. And so they just keep looking at the same spot where they saw him last. It's at this point, I assume without them knowing, that two men dressed in white, we can read that as angels, came and stood among them. And I've always enjoyed this moment, because I like to think they sort of just snuck up and quietly sidled in. And you can imagine them just joining from them going... And then sort of looking at each other going... Then they say this, men of Galilee, why are you staring into the sky? This Jesus whom you have just seen taken before you, he will return again in glory. 
It's the most amazing moment. You can imagine all the disciples suddenly breaking their gaze and looking at these two men in slight bemusement and shock. But the news they bring is heart strengthening. The news they bring is courage building. Just as angels had announced this glorious incarnation where the Lord of heaven had come and been made flesh at Christmas, we celebrate. So they were here now. The Lord of all creation who has been made flesh now returns back to heaven and the angels are there. But in doing so, they remind the disciples this is all part of God's plan, folks. God's got this. This was always going to happen. This same Jesus, this Jesus, I love the way they say this same Jesus, this very one, the one you've been hugging and holding and and eating with, He who has been taken into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him taken. Yes, he has just ascended into heaven. Yes, what you saw really did just happen, folks. You weren't making it up. But it's not the end. The day is coming where he will come back again. And this time, not in a quiet, far-off stable, but instead in glory, Scripture says. On the clouds, just as you've seen him go. Every eye will see him. There'll be no denying. Jesus said, really interesting aside, he said, in the latter days, if someone says, oh, he's come back, don't believe them, because you'll know when he's back. You don't need someone else to tell you, oh, there he is, look over there. Oh, is he? Let me go and have a look. No, you're going to know. Everyone's going to know. And so they say to the disciples, come on, stop gazing at an empty sky. This is all part of God's this may be the end of a season but there is so much more to come I wonder just for those here this morning some of you are coming to the end of a season in this moment some of you will be coming to a change in your life some big change or shift and it's natural for all of us to wobble in these moments to gaze back at what once was the familiar, the comfortable to avoid looking ahead at what feels maybe new or daunting or different or frightening. And yet, I just want to say to you, don't just stand there gazing up or gazing back. No, there is so much more to come. The disciples had to learn that the end of one season with God always heralds the beginning of a brand new season with God. New opportunities, new discoveries, new depths of faith are now possible. In fact, the disciples are about to discover that something even better than having the risen, glorified Jesus with them in person, something better than that was about to dawn. Better than having Jesus with them, I hear you cry. Sure, someone cried it somewhere. Better than having Jesus, surely nothing is better than having Jesus hanging out and teaching us. I get it, that's how I would feel. If we had a time machine, who would go, right, there's only one place I want to go. 2,000 years ago, thank you, Jerusalem, I'm there. Or maybe Galilee, I'll go by the, by, by the shores of the lake. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? I'll go and see his calling. I'll go and sit at his feet. Go and eat with him. Go and touch his cloak. Wow! Wouldn't that be amazing? And yet, yet, in some words that I find perhaps some of the most surprising words that Jesus has ever uttered, find them in John's gospel. He said this, it is better for you if I go away. And you go, really? It's better for you. It's to your advantage that I go away. 
Folks, when Jesus says something that we don't quite understand at first, and you go, that doesn't feel right. Don't just close the Bible and run away. Don't hide from it. Explore it. What's he saying? Why has he said that? What's the significance of what's being said here um, in John's Gospel, John 16, verse 7, if you want to check that out. Better than you go, Jesus? I think not. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said. On that night he was betrayed, he says to his disciples that soon he'll be with them no longer. He says, I see that you are sad about this. Jesus understands our fear. He understands our sadness. But he says, yet it is to your advantage I go away. There are two hugely significant reasons why it was better that Jesus went. The first one is this. His presence is now in heaven. Why is that better? Let me tell you. Firstly, the first thing we need to realize, in that moment, that rising up moment, actually, the conquering king takes his throne. The king is now on his throne. You see, the disciples are just witnessed from Earth's point of view. That's all we get. We get that perspective. The looking up and him disappearing. Go, oh, well, right, off, off back then, chaps. Let's go and have a coffee. You know, we get this sort of blocked view. But if we could see it from the other side, he departs us, but he arrives in glory to the glorious host of heaven, eager to arrive him, uh, to, 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 eager for his arrival and to celebrate him and to cheer and worship him as he returns to heaven after the most incredible ministry to receive the authority and the kingdom from his father that he has won through his perfect obedience. The prophet Daniel prophetically wrote about it, Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Jesus title that he chose so often to use about himself. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, his father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. This is Jesus received into heaven. The conquering king completed his earthly ministry, arrives to those cheers and celebration into heaven's company. His perfect work on earth is completed. Sin has been paid for. Death has been defeated. The kingdom is now breaking in. Jesus is Lord and King and he sits down at the right hand side of his father to take his eternal throne. And that is where he is now, folks. Never forget it. Whatever we're going through, however hard life is, there is a king on the throne. And his name is Jesus. And he is a good king and a mighty king. And no one can dethrone him. And no thing can push him off that throne. Jesus is Lord and king and he reigns. There's another reason why it's really important that his presence is now in heaven. And that's this one. Through this moment, our humanity, we see that our humanity is redeemed. Redeemed us on the cross. Um, but we see the impact of what he has achieved. For uh, in this moment, Jesus did something that had never, ever been done before. For the first time ever, he took the fullness of our humanity into the holy presence of his Father. Now, wherever Elijah or Enoch went in the Old Testament, somebody think, hang on, didn't they, didn't they go up and didn't they do a bit of a Jesus before Jesus? No. Something different happened there. Some spiritual presence potentially with God. But it's clear from Jesus' teaching in John 3 
that no one has ascended into heaven apart from him. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's that language again that he uh, resonates with Daniel. Now, this point may be hard to get our heads around, so hold tight a second. Some of you love going down these little roots of theology. Some of you will be like, Matt, what are you getting at? I'll try and get there, but it's really significant. Through the ascension of his resurrected body, Jesus has taken our now redeemed humanity into the heavenly realms, into the presence of the Father to be received for all eternity. This body of flesh that was eating, remember, with his friends just moments before, has now ascended into heaven. Jesus said, you know, I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't eat fish, guys. They don't have flesh and blood. I'm here. I'm resurrected. I am different, but I am still fully God, yet fully human. The theologian Karl Barth puts it this way. Jesus wasn't like a king who temporarily puts on rags. You ever seen, um, what's it, Secret, Secret Boss, where they put on, pretend to be a, a, a one of the ordinary employees, and the top CEO of a company goes and sort of hangs out with the with the lowest paid employees to find out what's really going on. Jesus didn't just do that because in that one, the boss then goes back to being the boss and being like, oh, now I'm like, I'm no longer one of you guys. Jesus took on our humanity for all eternity. He's not embarrassed by it. He's not ashamed by it. He has redeemed it for all eternity. Jesus is now fully God and fully man. He has restored us and our fullness of our humanity. This was not just a spiritual ascension. It was a physical ascension into the heaven uh, to be with his father. We may ask, how does it work, Matt? What's the metaphysics of it all? Where is heaven? How did he get there? What happened physics-wise? And what happened to the molecules? I don't know. I can't tell you that, folks. But I can tell you that heaven is where Christ is now, seated on high next to the Father. Fully God, yet fully man. Think of it this way. For the first time in all history, the beauty and grace of heaven didn't just descend to earth, which God does so often. Such grace descends something of the beauty of heaven to earth. For the first time ever, something of earth was considered holy and able to ascend into heaven. One theologian writes it like this. I love this. The dust of the earth is on the throne of the majesty on high. Isn't that awesome? dust of the earth is on the throne of the majesty on high. This is our Jesus. This is our brother. One like us. Perhaps the best way to understand the significance of where I've just gone there, and you can explore that amazing bit of sort of theological path that we can go down. But the best way to understand the significance, I think, is to hear Jesus' words. I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Don't you love those words? Friends, without him, there's no way we could have gone near to the Father. For the first time in all eternity, he has made a way. The barrier is broken. Jesus has prepared a place for you and me in the presence of God. One day, we too will have a resurrection body and we will be able to be in the presence of the Father for all eternity. As Hebrews 6 says, Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Okay, If that wasn't enough, folks, if that wasn't enough, and that's pretty awesome, that Jesus, fully God and fully man, takes his throne in heaven for all eternity, what he does whilst he is there is both mind-blowing for me and utterly humbling. 
hear this. Instead of basking in glory, instead of being waited upon by cherubim and seraphim and occasionally nonchalantly looking down and going, oh, earth's still there, I wonder what's happening. The Bible tells us that Jesus is sat there, the right hand of his Father, actively pleading the case for each and every one of us. Jesus, who died more than that, Romans 8, 34 says, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is in heaven right now, interceding for you and for me. So glad he is, because I really need it. The one who Hebrews 4 reminds us is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses, all of our temptations. He is actively pleading our cause to his Father each and every moment of every day. Friends, we have a brother in the heavenly realms. He is for us, not against us. He is for you. Hear that this morning, not against you. The Bible says because of Jesus' presence in heaven, no one can condemn you. Because his presence in heaven pleading for you, you can approach the eternal throne of God with confidence. You can say, hey, let me in, for I know someone in the palace. In fact, I know the king. He is my friend. He is Jesus. There is no wonder that Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go. Just take a moment to take that in, folks, this morning. Jesus is rooting for you right now. He knows you. He knows all you're going through, and he is rooting for you. Whatever temptations you face, whatever struggle, however strong your faith feels or weak and vulnerable your faith feels, Jesus, your brother, is in heaven now, interceding for you. Father, look at them. Father, let's bless them. Let's equip them. Let's make a way for them to break through. Have you ever truly realized that Jesus is personally rooting for you? Let that sink in a moment. We could stop here, but I'm just going to do one more turn for us. Because... This is all far beyond what we deserve. Jesus' presence in heaven, preparing a place for us, interceding for us in every moment. The amazing thing is he ascended not just so that he wouldn't just be present in heaven, but also so that his presence could now always be here with us on earth too. So that's the one I've covered. He's interceding for you. This is the other reason. His presence is now always with you. Jesus tells his disciples on that final night, I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, my father. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus, lovely, the way he's talking to them. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from me, Jesus says later, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. It's extraordinary. When Jesus was with his disciples in the physical body, he could only be with them in one place at a time. But in ascending to heaven, he's able to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to help us, to comfort us, to teach us all that Jesus declares to us. By going to heaven, 
Jesus is able to say, wherever you go, wherever it is, whatever you face, I am with you. Whatever you do, I will help you. And although the Gospel of Matthew stops just short of the ascension, intriguingly, the final words of Jesus, this thunderous great commission, we call it, cannot be understood without really understanding the ascension. Listen. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always in every situation. And if that wasn't enough, he says, I'm not just with you, not just dwelling around you, but I will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. The world will not see me any lo- anymore, but you will see me. Why? Because I will be in you. I will come and dwell with my Father. And we will make your home, our home, in you. It's extraordinary. Jesus living within me and you by his Spirit. So amazing, folks, that Jesus is able to say, it is better for you that I go. Because I'll be with you. I'll be in you. I'll be transforming you from the inside out. Giving you courage. Softening your hearts. Strengthening your wills. Giving you power to declare and be part of my kingdom breaking in. Same power that rose Christ from the dead, the Bible says, is now living in us. That's why we're able to say, as Philippians does, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is why Jesus, and I'm going to say two more things that I believe, two words I want to speak over you this morning. In a moment I'm going to ask you to stand, because I want to just declare them over you. But I'll be as quick as I can here. These two words. Jesus felt it so important that his disciples understood and received the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. That he said to them, don't do anything until it comes, until I come, until he comes. He says to them this. He says, wait. I really want you to notice that this morning. It's so important that Jesus says, do nothing. He could have said, well, just get on with the easy bits. You've got to get going. There's so much to be done in this world. He says, no, you stop and you wait, folks. Have you ever really clocked that? Do nothing, Jesus says, until I come and fill you with my spirit. This is how much we need the Holy Spirit, folks. This is why our vision is all about prioritising his transforming presence, because the world needs Jesus by his presence. We cannot, simply, must not, ever try and do church, faith on our own, mission on our own. You'll burn out, you'll get fed up, you get wound up. You'll give up. We need him in our lives more and more. Boy, do we need him. You say, Matt, I've already got the Holy Spirit. You're right, if you're a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. But there is more, folks. Scripture tells us and experience backs it up, doesn't it? We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can quash the Holy Spirit. We can become desensitized to the Holy Spirit. We can simply not listen to the Holy Spirit. We can live our lives, even as a Christian, as if the life-changing power and transforming presence of Jesus isn't within us. It's too easy to do. As a minister, I find it super easy. That's me being honest. And then I realise what I'm doing and I'm like, Lord, I need you more. Paul says to Timothy, come on, fan into flame that gift that is within you. You need more. Ask for more. I need more. You need more. 
It's so important that Jesus says, wait until you are filled. Billy Graham said, I heard, um, I heard it said about him. I think he said it in a documentary I watched. Sometimes Billy Graham, this great evangelist, hundreds of thousands of people probably turned to Christ because of him. He'd done thousands of talks, would sometimes just feel empty. I've got nothing to say, God. And he would just stop and he would just wait. And he'd say, Lord, I'm not going out there until you fill me with your spirit and give me the spark of the divine word that I need for this situation. I can't. And he'd wait and he'd pray. The Holy Spirit would come and he'd go, right, I'm ready, let's do it. Come on, come on. We need to learn to listen. I need to learn to listen more. We need to learn to listen more. We need to, in every situation, small and big, say, come Holy Spirit, unless you go with us, we don't want to go. You need to grab on like Jacob did. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. There is more and we need more. So wait, 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 wait on the Lord. For when you hear from him, when his spirit comes, don't wait any longer. Rise up. Rise up. Like the disciples, we're not called to be dormant, gazing into an empty sky in confusion. We need to hear the angel's message this morning. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is coming again on clouds in glory. That day he's going to establish his perfect kingdom, wipe every tear from our eye. But until that day comes, you and I are called to rise up. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. As God's people in this struggling and hurting and confused world, we need to rise up, take courage. Remember, we've not been given a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and self-control. We're called to be witnesses of God's truth, bringers of his life-changing love and presence to the ends of our roads, to the boundaries of our villages, to the outskirts of our town, to our country, and yes, even the ends of the earth. Jesus is doing amazing things all around our world right now through his people and he's doing amazing things among us even through us can I ask the band just to come back because we're going to pray and we're going to worship for the next 15 minutes Um, this week and it's unusual I've had personal contact with uh, all sorts of people from around the world Christians it's very unusual most weeks I wouldn't but this week and I think God wants me to share it this week I've spoken I'm not going to use their names to a friend in Pakistan who has a ministry helping the poorest recover practically and emotionally from those horrendous floods. Some villages still underwater. He asked me also to pray for a brother called, uh, I'll call him Sikh, who was beaten by a mob in one of the villages to try to make him renounce his Christian faith, yet he stayed strong, he was rescued. Pray for him, Matt, he said. I've heard from another minister from India, who among many other things has a ministry to pregnant and nursing mothers. Many in his region die in that season of their life. Uh, during childbirth as well and yet not one of the women who are under their care and under their ministry uh, have died since they've intervened he said Matt the kingdom of God is breaking out here in India we're seeing it happen I've heard from another uh, minister uh, in Liberia who's seeing so many miracles within his church as they walk with the poor he says Matt we're hungry for them I heard from another minister in India 
who has used, and he WhatsApped me, the pictures of 12 rural ministers, all with brand new bikes and these speakers and mega, uh, microphones, so that they can go out into the villages and declare Jesus is Lord. And he's like, that was 12, Matt. I've got a vision for 100. They send them out. Nothing's going to stop uh, the gospel being uh, declared, he said to me. That's my passion, Matt. He said, and I heard from a friend who's in Iraq this week as well as a missionary. He took his wife and his son and he's just celebrated several baptisms this Easter and afterwards with men, Iraqi men, who have given their lives to Jesus even though the cost could be everything, including their lives. And when I hear them, I'm humbled and yet I'm stirred. I'm like, come on, come Holy Spirit, stir me up, stir us up. Let us rise up, Lord, and play our part. God is doing amazing things through his people all over the world. You would have stories and testimonies. He is doing amazing things among us here as well. There is work to be done. He's given us, our spirit, given us his spirit. As Stop puts it, we're called to be witnesses, not stargazers. We're not called to rush not in our own strength or our own agenda, getting busy and burning out, but being filled with his spirit, we're called to rise up. So can I ask you if you're able just to stand? We're going to worship in a moment. We're going to pray. And I want to pray for you this morning. You're feeling maybe a little weary. Maybe you've been a bit dry in your Christian faith. Maybe you're not quite sure what is going on Around you, maybe something new is happening. Maybe you feel uninspired. Maybe you're working hard, seeing what God's doing. But I want to speak words over each one of us this morning as a type of prayer. I want to say this, rise up, man of God. Rise up, woman of God. Seek your Lord, for he is with you. Call on his name, for he will answer. Do not despair. Do not grow weary, for Jesus is interceding for you even in this very moment as I pray. Your God reigns and he is doing amazing things through his people in every nation of this world and he will do it through you too. So ask for his presence. Ask for his power. Ask for his wisdom. Ask for his courage and receive it afresh this morning. Man of God, Woman of God, rise up in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come now. If we could just start playing, I'm going to pray. So, Lord Jesus, you considered it better that you left us in person anyway, physically, so that we might receive your presence by your Holy Spirit. So we may be filled and transformed from the inside out. I pray now, asking your name, Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit this morning and fill each and every one of us up afresh? Would you give courage where we're feeling weak? Would you stir our hearts where we're feeling bored? Would you remind us that you are Lord and King? Would you give us confidence again? And would you help us to rise up play our part in declaring your love and seeing your kingdom break in. I pray, come Holy Spirit, come and heal, come and restore, come and inspire.
come and equip. We ask it in Jesus' name. We say you are welcome here. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.